Hi everyone. Today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 beginning at verse 27. And by way of introduction I'd like to suggest that this talk does connect with an important time in our national calendar, that of Remembrance Sunday. Now, it's important for us, I believe, to remember those who've given their lives in service to their nation, in particular in the struggle against Nazism, but also in protection of our freedoms and liberties as citizens of this country. And it's important also to be prayerful, I believe, for all those who work in the armed forces, serve in the armed forces and who also serve on the front line of care in our country. So it would be good to remember anyone who uh, has signed up um, to, uh, to serve others in this way and to give thanks for them on this important day. So <clears throat> Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. May God bless reading his word together and give us a sense of the truth and the message that he wants to uh, he wants to deliver. So... One thing is certain, that this letter is written in a time of uncertainty. Paul, a prisoner, not knowing if he'll live or, or die, and not really knowing if he'll be released to travel <clears throat> and visit the Philippians again, or whether he'll be stuck in prison for the rest of his days. And so he sends some advice and actually some instructions about how to live in his absence. Now, Paul is not asking the um, he's not asking the Philippian saints to look after his cat, to water his flowers, to collect his milk bottles. He is asking them to hold on to something of eternity while they live. And that's an important thing to remember. He's entrusting them with a solemn command to let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do we get a sense of this command to be worthy, to, to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, 
Let me drift into some examples. Uh, 800 years ago, there was a form of literature. It came out of France originally, but was popularised in the English language. It was all those stories about King Arthur, that knight king, and the knights of the round table, making famous Lancelot and Bedivere and Gawain and Galahad and other great heroes. And these stories so caught the imagination that even six, seven hundred years later, poets like Tennyson were writing about the, the death of King Arthur and, and others um, were following in that theme. Artists, poets, the great and the good have referred to this idea of, uh, of knighthood that was um, spectacularly portrayed in the tales of King Arthur. And one thing that is agreed about all of these things, and <clears throat> it may be that, you know, even watching a film like the Batman films, for example, in which he's a modern day knight, um, it was this idea of worthiness becomes a, a knight. So a knight can't be a knight unless he behaves in a worthy manner. Now, this was based partly in historical fact that there was that there were different uh, orders of knighthood but each of them had a, um, a a code of practice guidelines and they were moral and behavioral um, you know a knight had to uh, behave in a in a respectful manner towards anybody uh, had to protect his family had to protect his king, um, was a protector of faith and would um, give his life in fighting for the faith of Christ. And this was very clear in the, in the knight's code of honour, that the knight would be well turned out, would, would be a martial person, someone who was ready for battle and someone who ultimately is courageous. Worthiness then befitted a soldier, but not just any soldier, a soldier who was elevated in society. Paul says to his friends at Philippi, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy strenuous, chivalrous, and martial. Well, <clears throat> these ideas might have communicated at Philippi, don't you think? Philippi, a city populated by ex-soldiers. What was an ex-Roman soldier? Well, he was a citizen of Rome. A citizen who was freed. In other words, one out of uh, the the top third of Roman people were free people, citizens, and a soldier, an ex-soldier, was a freed person. Now, what had he done to deserve all of this? Well, he'd signed a sacramentum when he was a young man. Sacramentum gives us that idea of sacrament, a sacred oath that he would serve for 20 years, that he would be... Uh, 
devoted to physical training, to, uh, to warfare, um, that he would obey his commanders, that he would behave in a certain moral way. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't marry, for example. So you can imagine that Philippi <clears throat> was this um, was this renewed city, imperial city, where um, discipline and pride and all of those qualities would have been going on in the population. Now, we're only speculating, I'm only speculating, that the people in the church were... Uh, were ex-soldiers, but surely the Philippian jailer had served some time, his 20 years. And if he hadn't, well, please forgive me for that speculation. But you can imagine that Philippi, you know, had um, uh, Philippi in bloom or uh, imperial city in bloom prizes all over the walls and clean doorsteps and 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 very and was a, a a place that we might admire today and so paul writes to these people in philippi and again we don't know if they're ex-military but isn't there a suggestion here let your manner of life be worthy and He's picking up this idea that to him is Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In, in other words, that's the sacramentum, that's the, that's the motto, that's the everything that Paul is giving himself to live in Christ. And so <clears throat> this um, obviously spurs the next thought. Now, let your manner of life has another meaning, and it appeals to the other side, not to the military side, but to the citizenship side. So let your manner of life, manner of life had that sense of being a, uh, a member of the, of the community, a citizen in the empire of Rome, a citizen then being an elevated person, but somebody who is engaged in what is going on around them. In other words, as well as saying, be worthy as a, as a knight or a, a, a soldier of rank would be, but also be a citizen. And we know, don't we, that this idea of, of uh, being a soldier of Christ, it's picked up in Ephesians, of course, we've looked at that already, um, but uh, but being a citizen, <clears throat> well, even at the very end of the Bible, we see that people, the people of God are ushered into the city of God where God and his son dwell. And, uh, and in Hebrews 11, we're told that people died in faith, knowing that they looked for a city or a nation that God himself was preparing for them. In other words, with their eyes lifted and their expectations high. Because Paul has high expectations for those who have high expectations. So if, <clears throat> if our hope and our dream and our thought and our motivation is the kingdom of heaven, then Paul says, you need to be worthy as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and your life needs to be 
in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Paul isn't unique in having high expectations. Jesus told tales, for example, in Matthew 25, about readiness for the kingdom. You know, the, the three servants who wave goodbye to their master. He leaves them, yes, with money, yes, with what we'd call talents today, but he actually leaves them with responsibilities. And the two that he praises fulfill their responsibilities in his absence. And the third, of course, angers him because he finds a lazy and frightened solution to having the one, the least of all the talents. And then what about the virgins who are waiting for the wedding and just in that such Middle Eastern time, not knowing what time the bridegroom will come, the wise ones trim their wicks and they go to sleep, and, but the foolish ones let their uh, lamps burn down and they're not allowed into the wedding feast. Jesus says on one occasion, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, Paul, following from Jesus, is saying to people who have an expectation of heaven, that there is an expectation of today, of living today, really living today in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And <clears throat> I sometimes look at myself and ask, am I really holding myself to that standard? Am, am I listening to this command of God? If I have high expectations, if I'm looking for a city that is prepared by God, well, am I living to please the Lord of hosts himself? Fortunately, Paul teaches what living worthily is. Now, Paul has used this expression of worthiness in, in other parts of the Bible, in Thessalonians, in Ephesians, in Romans, um, and uh, John the Apostle picks it up as well. So it's not, it's not unique to Philippians. In other words, it's a theme throughout the New Testament that God's people should live in God's way and to his glory. Um, but here, Paul concentrates on three things. Firstly, worthiness is oneness. Um, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Listen to those three ways of talking about unity. One spirit, one mind, side by side. Now it's interesting because this unity is in the context of, uh, of striving for the gospel. Now let's pause there. We know that Christian unity has been turned in some ways into a sort of uh, 
in, into an aim in itself. And we need to be careful about that. Not that we want to cause division or, 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 or anything like that, but the fact here is that we're one and we're side by side. We're one in the spirit and in mind because we're united around a common task. Most people agree that where the task is shared, where there is a passion about a vision and a mission, then there's the possibility of unity. And when you met Jesus, perhaps it was at a big convention, there was a preacher there and whatever, something made sense to you. But did you come home and say, Oh, I want to be that preacher. Did you come and say, come home and say, you know, I'm really excited about Anglicanism. Or I'm really excited to discover what denomination I am. No. You came home and you said, I met Jesus. That he is the commonality. He is our unity. He's our first love. And when we remember that, and we remember that, there is something worth striving for here, that, that we're to tell others about Jesus. That we're to strive to tell them about Jesus. When we remember that, then suddenly unity comes much more into focus. Uh, you'll remember Jesus on the mountain. And all the disciples gathered round and he is giving them a mission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you even until the end of the age. And you can just see all their eyes looking up to him. This is a good picture of what Christian unity is like. Unity around the person of Christ, giving the mission of Christ, it's full priority. And we forget to be one. We easily let the petty things and the red herrings tear us apart. But as we devote ourselves together to this one idea that the world is in need of a saviour and we are the ones sent into this world, well, we'll learn to get on with one another. I can think of tall friends I've had who I'm, I'm medium high or even short uh, and we wouldn't have chosen each other as friends or quiet people I've known and we wouldn't have chosen each other as friends but as we work together on the gospel we learn to love and value one another and I just I just say let's get on with a gospel and uh, and striving together for that. Well, the second thing is that worthiness, living in a manner that's worthy, is also about courage. Now, a knight had to fight facing forward, never thinking of running away, knowing that he would be in the middle of fierce dangers. Here we have, we're not frightened of anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Paul is talking about courage, isn't he? Not being frightened. 
and I don't know about you, I'm inspired by modern tales of Christian courage, by the admittedly not that recently, but um, Helen Roosevelt, you know, who went to a foreign country, was kidnapped, brutally beaten, didn't know if she would survive till the next day, and yet when she was released by her captors, she was able to go back and to continue in her ministry. Just courage, courage to be God's person in that place. And she's not unique. There are thousands of people today who are risking everything for the gospel of Christ. They are facing forward and they are not frightened in anything by their opponents. Sometimes they're overcoming their fears, yes, and sometimes they are simply trembling to do what they have to do and yet they know they have to do it and God gives them that strength. Well, uh, I'm thinking of people even in our country who are prepared to give up what they're doing now for the sake of the gospel. Um, there's fear even for them and, and so Paul says this is the standard, this is worthiness, don't be frightened of anything. And we need to understand that nothing is really gained unless it is in the face of opposition. The devil hasn't lost his jealousy or his fury at Christian people. We have to understand that and live worthy lives in spite of our fears. And then in small ways, we'll stand for Christ and we might inspire others in his name. Um, so, live worthy, be brave, says Paul. It's a matter of life and death when all's said and done. He reminds the Christians at Philippi that their courage is rewarded by knowledge. Firstly, knowledge that they're saved, that they are saved, that, that God's people are saved. And that's precious, isn't it? However hard the trial that faces us, the reward is knowing that we'll be ready when Christ comes and he will welcome us into his kingdom. We don't earn salvation by working hard at door knocking or arguing in the streets with people. But we do need to live in a state of preparedness to have the courage to follow Christ in the face of the enemy or enemies of Jesus. And that is readiness. That brings rewards, eternal rewards, not only to ourselves but to our communities as well. Because we bring in the gospel message, we bring blessing to others. Well, um, the second bit of knowledge is that our enemies are defeated by this courage. And so let's remember that, not wanting uh, destruction for others, but wanting to know that just as Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one, so his people move into places and, and do things which bring them into conflict with a defeated enemy. Enough about that for now. Finally, worthiness is belief and suffering. Paul has a special secret for the brothers and sisters at Philippi. God grants belief. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's granted. He's granted it. What does this mean? Think of Thomas. You know, he doubts, he's sad and upset. And then Jesus comes and shows him his hands and his feet. And in that moment, Jesus makes an important point. 
Blessed are those who believe, who have not seen. And he tells Thomas, only believe. In other words, he grants that belief to Thomas. First of all, the demonstration, but then the command, believe. And the most gracious and wonderful and heartwarming moment in a person's life, I believe, is that moment that we first believe. When we can lay our burdens down before the cross, and when we can look into that face of Jesus, and when we know he is real, and that he lives, and that he loves, and that he has forgiven us, this is how God grants belief. And you know, it strikes me that God continues to grant belief. Think about the uh, think about the disciples and the father who is befuddled by the, their lack of success with the son who is, uh, is possessed by a demon in Mark chapter 9. And the father says, I believe, help me in my own belief. In other words, I don't believe, but I, I know I want to believe. And Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes and it changes everything. His confession is that he wants to believe, but then he can believe because Jesus, uh, because Jesus acts at that moment. And I don't know if you have thought of this, but actually often when things are really perplexing in our lives, as we come to God in prayer and we say, Lord, we don't know what to do about this. We don't have an answer for this. We don't have the strength for this. Often he gives us belief first. Belief is that gift of God, graciously given and just like any grace that's given by God, given freely and without measure. And sometimes we need to be in that place where we just don't know what to do and say to God, what must I do to be saved? Just like the Philippian jailer, you know, he's looking at prisoners on running amok all over the place, thinking that he's going to be killed for his uh, lack of attention to the prison walls. And he shouts out, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, only believe. God grants belief. Belief is a precious gift. It's not just consolation for the bad times. It's not just a way of living in a sort of fairy story. Belief is a real thing that enables us to keep going and to keep going forward. Well, we're to walk worthy with unity in the task, courage in the face of our foes, and belief in the face of unbelief. These are the lessons of Paul to the Philippian believers, preparing them to face what lies ahead and suffering. And that's what will truly test our worthiness to live as Jesus would have us live. But that's for another week. Now may God the Father, who created us and sent his Son to save us, grant us belief that we may live worthily in courage and unity of the Holy Spirit as heavenly people on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.